it's very exciting that we've got new mics. Um, I was listening to our the podcast we did when I was in Italy, and the sound quality wasn't good. So this is a real step forward. It's a brilliant step forward, as I will have to spend fewer hours editing to try and get your measly volume up to scratch. It's quite an exciting week. It's quite an exciting week. Full stop, isn't it? Because uh, the internet is on fire. We've just had the page views have been raining in on uh, your tremendous coverage of the new 2023 rules of golf, um, which is going to form the basis of today's chat. Uh, but you've also been playing golf, haven't you? I did play golf for the first time in about five weeks. Um, and winter rules, you see, Tom. I've got back out. It was all right. It was all right. It was an under par round. I broke eighty. Did you? For the first time in about, well, for the first time in competitive action for a long, long time. No doubles. Doubles kill me. No doubles. Where at Strensel? Yeah, it's Strensel. Yeah, York. The York Golf Club. Um, first winter competition. So off our rated winter tee. So the course is about a thousand yards short, which obviously I like tremendously because I don't have to hit drive very much. What colour are the tees? Uh, yellow. Okay. And um, I shot 38 points and finished 16th. Off of what handicap? Uh, 11. So I'm like way too, I mean, I'm, I'm masquerading at the moment. I'm, I was single figures at the start of last year comfortably, now I'm like 10.9. And this was on Saturday, was it? It was on Saturday, yeah. So did you avoid the rain? It sort of tipped it down at one point? It tipped it down in the morning. It did not tip it down on me. I was blessed in every regard. Not only were there some good golf played for me, but I also didn't get soaked. And uh, did it? so it delivered on our kind of winter golf loving of last week? It, it was a perfect endorsement of last week's pod, if anyone wants to listen to it. I mean, basically everything I said about winter golf in that part came true on Saturday, apart yeah. from I didn't win. It's quite good, this uh, regular podcasting thing, because I feel like I feel like I don't really have to talk to you now in between times, because I find out what you've been doing during the podcast. So that our, uh, our Monday meeting is no longer a lament yeah, yeah. from me or about my golf. I just have to like hold it up inside, but bursting to get it out, Tom. And you, like me, uh, sort of obsess about our podcast stats, and we've been finding out that Apple algorithm likes it if people subscribe. It so does. I'm, I'm going to get that in early this week and say, please, can you subscribe to this podcast? If you're an Apple user, then all you have to do is go onto their app on the App Store, press subscribe, then you get a notification every time there's a new one, and it helps our numbers so we can try and get above bunkered, which is becoming our reason to be. <laughs> and if Apple is not your bag, because it's not mine, um, I subscribe on Spotify, which yeah. you can do as well. I listen to a lot of my podcasts on Spotify, yeah. including this one. You look like an Android sort of weirdo. Um, so I play golf as well, actually, uh, at the Old Woodley Golf Club. We've actually ditched the the. the. It's part of a kind of uh, attempt to be a bit more every man. We've got rid of the the. How many meetings did it take to do that? Uh, like a year's worth, and then there still wasn't consensus. But we do their marketing, so we just remove the the. We didn't really tell anyone. So it's now just Old Woodley Golf Club. Um, and it was a yellow tea Stableford. But there were lots of things going on. Um, we've got some new winter teas, some rated winter teas, which are black. Ah. Um, which are kind of at the front of the tea boxes. Um, and there's like, they're printed out like a new scorecard for it. Um, I was late and didn't really have time to kind of look at the yardages or discuss it with them. But um, that is a pretty good initiative, I think. So... 
we've got some like very yellow yellow tees if you like now which are these black ones um, which will help the pace of play in the winter um, and we sort of snuck out at about midday and we got around in the dry as well um, and it was just brilliant apart from last last week we were talking about clothes so I went to kids football in the morning and then I went home and I was sort of laughing to my I nearly took a picture actually for Twitter I was laughing to myself getting my clothes out to go and play golf um, so got myself my base layer and all the rest of it and we had to play through a couple of groups we were playing in a two and by the fifth tee I was absolutely sweating cobs as predicted <laughs> uh, but it, other than that it was all pretty good golf was terrible I did manage to beat Hannah for the first time I think uh, we put, we both played off the other tees um, I said to her how many shots should I give her which she took great umbrage at sort of looked at me in a very that's patronising way and we played off stick end um, I beat her two and one Two, uh, two up, sorry. Have you got to the point yet where you might consider playing a quartz qualifying round off your new tees? Can you can you get to the point of yeah, yeah, handicap scoring in the winter? Yeah, yeah, I mean, this was a qualifier on Saturday. Ah. So it's got me one step closer to going up because I've now got like a, I think I've got six qualifying rounds in the middle of last summer, which have got me off this stupid low handicap. So. I'm quite determined actually to get some numbers in this winter. I think I could be quite competitive off four or five, I reckon. Four or five? That's the plan. What, are you, are you still plus one? Two. <laughs> four <laughs> or five? You know there's a cap, Tom. Yeah, yeah. There's only so far you can go. Well, I, love that. I love the way you've just signalled your intent to sandbag the handicap system. I'm going to test that cap. Be like Tom Cruise in Maverick. I'm going to test the hard cap, whatever it's called. <laughs> Was it course? Yeah, you're right. It's the hard cap and the soft cap. Yeah, uh, there we go. Um, so whilst this was going on, you've been hammering away at your keyboard. Yeah. Uh, consulting with the great and the good of the RNA, um, reviewing the latest round of rules changes. Um, I think, did you say there are 14 different pieces on National Club Golf for about this? 11 currently, but we're adding to them all the time. Right. Um, so it's a, a lot of changes it's a big deal um, yeah. and we've been desperately trying to get this podcast done because people are interested um, we've broken all records in terms of page views on our website this week um, as people from around the world have been wanting to know what the rules changes are um, quite a few of them are interesting um, it's a funny thing isn't it because the major rule changes were 2019 um, and they were pretty seismic right so yeah. just refreshes on that so what the, the sort of headlines from 2019 were things like the out-of-bounds rule um, and the, the ability to drop rather than take stroke and distance as yeah, a local rule. Hardly anyone ever used that rule because no. Congo at the time said, you can't use this in qualifiers. So clubs just said no. So uh, the 2019 rules were the biggest changes to the rules since 1984. Like a massive change. If you remember, I can't remember how many rules there were in the old, but I think there were like 34 rules in the pre-2019. They were crunched down to 24, 24. The language was completely changed. The big changes were things like knee-high drop from shoulder high. That was the one that caught everyone's headlines. But there was like new relief procedures brought in to try and unify the whole thing. There was all kind. I mean, it was a massive, massive shift. Like people who been immersed in the old rules basically had to start again um, and so what happens now is every four years the RNA and the USGA get together and they then they basically produce a review 
Um, so there are clarifications and interpretations that come on in between and then the two governing bodies get together and they have what's the official like there's like a latin word for it a four yearly review i don't know but this is the first of them so I, th I think that there was an expectation that it was going to be like evolution rather than revolution and that's largely the case but there are still some pretty big headline changes i think that have caught people's eyes so that that 2019 review was kind of a huge simplification Massive, yeah there were some like big changes like the yeah. height of the drop and all that kind of thing um, which we've now had, even through COVID, we've now had um, coming up for four years, I guess, yeah. of that to bed in. So this is the four-year review, which you're telling us is going to be the sort of fixed time when uh, things are going to get reviewed. So it's always going to clash with World Cup. So there we go. That's yeah. an easy way of remembering it. So they, they do, do they do change things in between times. You know, if there's like a, if they see a circumstance on tour, for example, and it and it just looks unfair. Um, or they see a circumstance that they want to say something about, then they can do that in between. So they produce regular three monthly, like kind of mini reviews that they right. used to call clarifications. But this is the this is the big one. And who is they, Steve? So we hear a lot about um, we hear a lot about the golf world rankings at the moment, mm. and the, the body that kind of decides on what tours are allowed into that. So is there a similar thing for rules? So the RNA and the USGA have their rules committees that meet regularly um, to discuss these things. And is that a big group of people? Yeah. How many it's people an important group. Oh, you, you don't I, know. I am not in the, in the sanctum of the rules committee. If the <laughs> RNA want to invite me, I'd be very willing. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not yet within the club. Um, and you, you spoke with the RNA last week, sort of ahead of these yeah. modifications, I guess is what, how we'd call them. Yeah, so I had a chat with Grant Moyes, the RNA's Director of Rules. Okay, so we're kind of like on top of it, um, so hopefully what we're going to discuss today is, is going to be informative for people and, and I guess point people in the direction of some things that might actually come up in their, in their everyday goal. Yeah. Um, so the way you've done this on, uh, on nationalclubgolfer.com is to kind of do a summary piece of the major changes. I think you've picked out eight different, eight different things which we think are going to be of the most general interest. Um, and to me, like I say, I think it's about the things that will actually be applied um, in real life. Um, so the, the, the standout one, and certainly the page views would indicate it, is the Stableford penalties. Um, so, but do you want to start with that? Yeah. Um, so this, this, this. I think, um, I think our headline has helped us with page views as much as as this is interesting. But there, but there are some substantial changes to to the penalties for Stableford in in a particular way. So I didn't actually know that the penalties for Stableford differed from stroke play. So most of the time they are the same. Right. Um, but there were three exceptions um, that were laid out. If you don't mind me being technical, were laid out in what's called Rule Twenty One Point One C. And they were about if you had excess shared or added or replaced clubs. So the easiest way to say that is, did you have 15 clubs in the bag? Um, if you were uh, erroneous in your time of starting, so if you were like within five minutes early of teeing off or within five minutes late, and what they called unreasonable delay of play. Um, and these penalties were a bit strange because they were deducted from a player's total points for the round. So if you think about how you enforce 15 clubs in stroke play, for example, it's two shot penalty for each breach, up to a maximum of four shots. So they tried to replicate this in a different way in, in the old rules, and so they deducted points from your total rounds. The problem with this, in my view, was the deductions had to be applied by the committee, so the player couldn't do it themselves. 
So if you had 15 clubs in the bag, for example, I'll keep using this because it's the easiest example, you would have to go and tell your competition committee that you'd done this and then they would have to apply the penalty. And if you didn't do that, you'd be disqualified. So I want you to think about like how you, how yeah. you do penalties you know, in, like, in almost every other aspect of the game. The responsibility is on the player to administer their own penalties and here there was a situation where he didn't do that so they've amended this rule very sensibly in my opinion actually and so you just apply the penalties in the same way as regular stroke play so you might say why did they do it differently in the first place well the point was grant if you if you read the piece on the website said something really interesting about it he said if you applied it as normal stroke play there was a situation where if a player didn't score any points on those holes, then the effect had no penalty. So, you know, if you like have 15 clubs and you score nine and a nine on the first two, you effectively weren't penalised for having 15 clubs. And the view that they've now come to is, we just need to make this simpler. So if someone scores a four on the first and they've got 15 clubs, they get a six. And if that's points or no points, so be it. It's just like any other hole. Right. And so I do think, you know, if you are preaching that the rules are simpler, then it helps actually in Stableford to have a uniform penalty procedure. And it was a bit odd before that you, that, that you in, in almost any other case, you were basically saying, right, I'll put my own penalties in. And then in this case, par bogey is the same, actually, if you played that. Um, you would have to then go to someone and say, Put your hand up and say, "Hang yeah. on, I've broken the rules here," and then they would have to deduct the points. So that I mean, the, I guess there's a there's a practical element to that as well. Um, so if if I've played uh, one hole or whatever with 15 clubs in my bag, I've declared that, and then I've reached the end of the round. And in the old days, I have to report that to the competition secretary. The competition secretary is not going to be there. So and now we're doing everything electronically. The chances are I'm going to have submitted the score, and that's going to happen afterwards. It's going to be a mess for everybody, isn't it? I, and what I suspect happened at club competitions anyway is that people just didn't do this. That they basically just applied a penalty anyway and thought, right, it's two shots, isn't it, for this? I'll just yeah. apply it, and oh, I haven't scored any points. There we are. So this just makes it all easier now. I think everyone knows where they are with it. So. A lot. Some people who've commented on this piece said, "Oh, I thought it was going to be a much bigger change than this," um, but it, but it's still an important change because on the on the occasions that this comes up, now it's pretty easy. It's pretty clear what to do. Whereas I think you know, in the old days, well, the current days until January the first, you'd be scratching around a rule book trying to find out what you're going to do. Yeah, with yeah. It, when now you just know. And this, I guess, is penalties that. Um it's hard to describe but penalties that are kind of sort of global penalties rather than something that's happening whilst you're playing the round really aren't they yeah so like time of starting for example i mean you, if you if you're late or you tee off too early you're disqualified unless you're within some exceptions and it's like within five minutes of tea time or within five minutes afterwards if that makes sense i haven't explained that very well but i think yeah. people will get the drift um so these are not an unreasonable delay of players another one these are not like these are not like playing from a wrong place, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. They're, so they're a bit oblique. That's interesting. Um, the second one I'm, that caught my eye is um, the standing behind a playing partner one. Yeah. Um, so the, when I first read this, or when you were talking to me about it last week, um, it's, that, it's I don't know, like when, 
So the rule is just let's just get this right. So it's you now can't stand behind a foursomes or a four-ball partner watching them put basically. Es essentially, yeah. So let, let, so the old rule always implied this, um, and if um, the the. Uh, the sort of example I've given was a very early one in the rules when Hao Tong Lee got a penalty because his caddy was standing behind him um, when he stepped in to make a putt. Basically, it was a very it was a very high profile example of this, like bang into the early rules of golf. Um, and it's in Rule Ten Point Two B brackets four, and what it says is if a player begins taking a stance for a stroke, and until that stroke is made caddy must not deliberately stand in a location on or close to an extension of the line of play behind the ball for any reason that's the technical so that rule also said that in forms of play involving partners the partner could take the same actions and with the same limitations as a caddy could so it was always implied that you that you couldn't do it but now it's explicitly written into the rules on foursomes and four ball, and it basically—I mean, it's like it's it's like it's ominous restriction on player standing behind partner when stroke is made, and it essentially says that take rule ten, and in addition to that, a player must not stand on or close to an extension of the line of play behind the ball while their partner is making a stroke to gain information for their, as in the player's next stroke, and it's a pretty stiff penalty. Actually, if you get caught, it's two shots or loss of hole in match play. So in foursomes, that would apply to the side. Um, in four ball, there are exact. There are even examples actually where it can apply to both players depending on the situation. Um, and what about to what about Texas scramble? Texas scramble isn't in this rule, but I, I imagine that Texas scramble would be limited in the same way. I've always when I've gone and played Texas scramble. I've used 10.2b and basically said, look, if you're standing in an extension on or close to the line, then you're going to be in breach of that rule. So that implies in Texas Scramble, you so, can't just all stand behind each other. So it's weird, isn't it? Because in foursomes and Texas Scramble, you basically play one ball. So, to know. And so what's the justification for it? Um, what the gain it was, so I think there's a, there's, an, there's a clarification to this rule which kind of explains it a little bit, in, in four ball anyway. Um, and it gives an example and it basically says, um, it talks about a player that's standing on or close to an extension of the line to, quotes, learn information about their, how their upcoming putt might break based on how their partner's ball breaks on the putting green. So what they don't want is you standing behind them, watching them, watching where that put breaks because that's giving you an advantage for your next stroke because you're getting information. Well yeah, but that's, I mean, to me that's kind of, in four ball, that's sort of part of the fun isn't it, that you're working as a team. Well, not anymore. Yeah. But I mean there's nothing to stop you, I mean I'm sure you do this, I mean you'll probably do this without even thinking about it, but you won't be standing directly on the line behind, right, will you? Well, this I mean, is you'll, be, you'll be standing to one side and then stepping in as the stroke is made. I don't think there's anything in the rule that says you can't do that. Hmm. You'll still be able to do that. Um, well, I think sometimes with your partner, you would just stand and watch the whole thing um, because you get mo obviously you get much more of an indication about whether they've pulled it or whether they've got their start line right or whatever else. Um, do you want me to send people crazy here? Well, so this refers to partners, right? Yeah. If you're, an op if you're an opponent or you're someone else in a group and you do that, what? Yeah. I talked about, I've done a piece about this in, this in the old rules, and I don't think it's changed. If you're like, if, if I'm playing you in match play, right? You can stand I can behind stand behind you. I mean, it's like, I, I bring this up because it's etiquette. It's like really bad etiquette. 
but you can actually you can actually do it. And this rule is talking about players standing behind partners. It's not talking about other people. That's crackers. It's, it is mental, isn't it? Well, I've, that, I mean, I've played golf for thirty years, and I've never I've never understood that. I thought that the opposite was true, and that. Um, you couldn't stand behind your opponent's ball or if you were playing in a medal or whatever so it's not necessarily your opponent but um, it was only your partner that you could get a read of I thought that was the sort of nuanced difference between one and the other but I guess it is just an etiquette thing So the warning's out on this now Um, I mean it's like it is absolutely written crystal clear into the rules both into the rules and in the clarification in four balls so um, you know someone's bound to get caught out with this This goes back to your Horace mate what was he called? Horace Hutchinson, or oh, yeah. what's he called? Yeah. Horace, yeah. He's a very famous amateur player, you know. So if I was, yeah. So if I was playing with um, someone in a medal and I stood behind their line to get a read off their putt, and they asked me to move, I could say no. And the only penalty actually coming my way was that they just wouldn't play with me again. Well, you say that, but I mean, there's, there's. I'm going off the top of my head here, so apologies, listeners, if I'm going to send you down the wrong track. But there is something I think in Rule One about deliberately distracting a player okay, and it may be that you could argue that you're deliberately distracting yeah. me you know when when you ask me to move and I refuse to move I think there's an argument there that you're causing a deliberate distraction it's an interesting thing because I mean like uh, we've published a book called The Lost Art of Putting and they are big advocates of low side reading and there's nothing in the rules that says I can't stand um, like what would the word be on the low side of a, a partner or opponent's putt watching the ball travel from the blade of their club to the hole so you mean on the other side no on the low side of the putt so mm. if they're putting across a hill I'd be standing with the player in the hole with my peripheral vision watching the ball travel from the putter to the hole side on basically like I'm watching a tennis match I mean so the, I mean, the rule's pretty clear as long as you're not on, the, not on or close to that extension of the line of play behind the ball. Yeah, I mean, That's it's, it it's an interesting about. thing because you, there are loads, the, the, if the intention is to stop you getting useful information, you really ought to tell people to close their eyes because there are, there's obviously lots of different <laughs> pieces of useful information available to you. Um, I think this is just trying to clear something up because, as I say, you know, if, if you read Rule 10, it was pretty much implied in this that you couldn't do it and now what they've done is they've just made it crystal clear right um yeah i mean it's a surprise to me and it's a surprise to me about the fact that i can stand behind uh, effectively an opponent's putt um it's an, in- an interesting thing and I, I would imagine is wildly misunderstood um wildly widely misunderstood um and then there's some of these are clearly sort of modernizing um Rules so that the no penalties for failing to put your handicap on the scorecard is interesting. I guess this is part of sort of digitization of scorecards, y- yes, yeah, but it's old school as well. Um, because I, I was going back through some of my old rule books, I've got them going back to like the 1930s, and the in, in some of those older, older rule books, the responsibility for putting a handicap on was the committees. Um, so this is like a relatively recent change that you as the player were responsible for your scorecard. It was your responsibility. There are a lot of committees that aren't going to like this. Um, but it is how it is now. So uh, in the old days, I say in the old days, it's still current obviously until January, you were responsible for doing it. If you didn't put your, uh, your score on the handicap or that handicap was too high, you got DQ'd if that affected the number of strokes that you got. and 
people did get DQ'd for this frequently. But you're quite you're quite in the camp of the um, the SEC or the committee or the handicap committee because yeah. you sort of see it as a it's adding to their admin, right? Well, that's how they'll see it. I would have thought. Yeah. Um, I mean, in reality, most players will still put their handicaps on the scorecards, or as the as you alluded to earlier, your computer software does it for you a lot of the time. I mean, I haven't put a handicap on a scorecard for years because it's on it's on the it's it's there on the scorecard. Now that responsibility for making sure that number was correct was mine. Mm. So if it was wrong, DQ. So that's that's a difference. Um, I, I, I like this. I think that the only thing that players are now responsible for is, look, make sure your, your card is signed and countersigned. Make sure your gross, scorecard, gross hold scores are correct. Makes it simpler. Um, where I think this will cause a problem is um, committees. I, I, I get loads of emails from golfers about committees who are overreaching here and they DQ people for not putting their date on the scorecard. There's some clubs have got like red lines on what you have to put on the scorecard. And if you don't, disqualification processes will follow, things like that. Um, the, the problem is not the rule for me. The problem is what a competition committee is going to do. Are they going to enforce it properly? Because you you've never been able to DQ someone under the rules of golf for this. But, but people are getting DQ'd routinely for it at certain clubs. So it'll be interesting to see how committees deal with it. I suspect committees will not be immensely happy because there will be some players who will chance their arm at it. Yeah, and there is a local rule that can, they can enforce that says you have to put it on mate, before you can be DQ'd. Yeah, and, and that's, the easy, that's the easy thing for clubs to do. I suppose um, it clutters your scorecard a bit more or it clutters your notice board. You've just got to make players aware that you've got that local rule. Committees for me, this is my opinion, uh, committees for me don't, lose, don't use local rules enough anyway. Um, there's all sorts of things in the back of the official guide that they can utilise to make their lives easier if they just read it. So, it's, I mean, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because um, there's clearly some stuff that is top-down, um, as in if you are a global committee looking at the rules of golf and saying, right, so we're now we're trying to simplify things, we're trying to get away from fussiness, we're trying to digitise the scorecard, yeah. so we can we can quite happily say you, you no longer have to put your handicap on a scorecard. Um, but they obviously do have. There is obviously a way of bottom up information because otherwise they wouldn't have the model local rule. Yeah. So this stuff is presumably stress tested with county unions and whoever else before it before mm. it sees the public light of day. Who knows? Um, you'd like to think so, wouldn't you? Because and I, I think a lot of this stuff has that feel to it. Um, I, I sort of feel with this that this is moving into the future and this is making the rules of golf fit for purpose in a number of years time so while this seems while f for some committees this might seem a bit strange when we don't have paper scorecards anymore and there is going to be a time when we don't have paper scorecards whatever the traditionalists say then this will this this will just happen because you'll click in on your app and your handicap will be there. So yeah. You don't have to put it on the scorecard. I yeah. feel like this is where we're moving. Yeah. But yeah, but you still, these, I mean, crumbs, it was, mod, it was modernization when you got a sticker to put on your scorecard yeah. with the information on. When we were kids, it was, you wrote the information on, didn't you? You yeah. had to write your yeah. exact handicap. And, and some clubs still do that. And your playing handicap. You know, not every club has a computer and, and that is where I, I think they'll need to be careful. 
because you know where where you don't have a computer and where you are writing all that information out then yeah then obviously you know if you're a handicap secretary with a big comp the last thing you want to be doing is writing 75 scorecards or whatever the night before so but, i mean the, the the things that were in the previous rules still apply so although you can't disqualify somebody under the rules of golf for this if people are routinely not doing this action there are you can put down yeah you said that you recovered sanctions this. in a code of conduct so we, we mentioned this in the with the query the lady had been dq yeah. for not putting a date on or something yeah. stupid um but i think it is a good takeaway for people that if you aren't dq'd for something that is not an incorrect gross score or failure to sign a scorecard then the committee is probably wrong that is the balance of it isn't it yeah yeah. I mean, I think what Grant was saying was, again, like read the pieces because there's some really good insight from Grant, you know, talking through some of these major changes. And what he said was, um, you can have a situation where you put the right scores in for each hole, the result sheet is accurate, so you've filled in the computer correctly, but because you might have put the wrong number down on a bit of paper, you're then disqualified or you're playing under a handicap that's lower than that to which you're entitled, just didn't seem to make sense in terms of the way we play the modern game. Yeah, I, I think mean, that's a very good way of putting it. You, you, don't, you shouldn't be held to account for the quality of your admin, should you, when you're playing golf? Like it's, yeah. It's hard enough trying to hit the bloody thing. <laughs> um, the, this, um, simplifi- you've described it as a simplification of the um, line of sight rule. Back on the line, Back yeah. on the line um, rule. I don't know if it's simplification, I think it's just another one of these things which is like, going to be widely misunderstood. It's, again, it's news to me, um, or this is certainly like a big change. This yeah. business about the ball being able to go forwards is mind-blowing. Yeah, so in the 2019 rules, there was a consistent relief procedure that you had to go through. Your ball had to land in a relief area and stay there, right? And back on the line relief um, was treated in the same way as that. I think what they've come to the conclusion is there was still quite a lot of technical penalties happening because back on the line is really it's like a unique relief procedure as the RNA have put it compared to others. Can we just and, and if you think just, about hang on right, a minute, let's begin at the beginning yeah, of this. If you think about back on the line relief, like so, what is back on the line relief? Well, that's what I was going to say. It's a it's a it's a relief procedure that you use for a variety of things, but most commonly in penalty areas and unplayable balls. So let's do penalty areas. You take the spot where the ball is estimated to have last crossed the penalty area, that's your reference point. You then draw a straight line from the flag back through that spot and you go backwards as far as you want, right? That's back on the line relief. And then you had to drop the ball and it had to stay in that relief area and if it stayed in there, fine. Off Within one club length. If yeah, or two going club or lengths. nearer the hole, yeah. yeah. So that, that was fine. So what? What I think the RNA and the USDA were concerned about is people were getting some technical penalties because the ball was marginally dropping out of the relief area. People were still hitting it. Um, and then when you think about like back on the line relief, if it goes forward slightly, what does it matter? You're going backwards from where your ball last was, right? So you're not gaining an advantage. You're not actually going closer to the hole. You might have been going closer to the hole in terms of that relief area, but you're not actually because you've gone backwards, right? Trying to explain that as simply as possible. So so they they changed this midway through. There was a model local rule, which really was only seen on tour. Clubs obviously weren't weren't employing this. And what they said was, 
as long as the ball was dropped in the relief area, came to rest within one club length of where it first touched the ground, you wouldn't then be penalised for playing from a wrong place. And that's essentially what they've brought into this new rule, that, that principle. So now if you take back on the line relief, you drop it, you drop it in the relief area, but it comes to rest one club length in any direction, as long as it stays within one club length, you're fine, you, your ball's in play, you don't have to redrop it. The local rule had a really weird thing in it where it essentially gave players a choice. So you could redrop it if you, you could redrop it if it was outside the relief area, um, but within one club length, or you could play it. So this was one of like a really weird occasions where essentially on tour they had a mulligan. Oh, I don't really like where that lie is. I'll redrop it. So they've removed that from the new rule. So basically it's very simple. If you drop the ball, it drops in the relief area, comes to rest within one club length, in any direction of where it first touched the ground, in play, get on with it. Right, so let's just go through it. So I've hit my ball into a pond. Mm -hmm. I've established where it entered the pond. Mm -hmm. I've then got a line between the flag, where it entered, and where I hit it from. And that's my line. You've drawn your straight line. Yeah. And then I can go back as far as I want. Yeah. Um, and then you're describing the relief area mm. as the point where I choose to drop it. And then yeah, it's um, like one club length, isn't it, for um, for a penalty area? Two minute. No, one. Oh, is it? For a penalty area, yeah, one. I thought it was two for a penalty. Yeah, that's lateral. Yeah, that's lateral relief. I mean, okay. we're, we're talking about back on the line relief. Here. It's okay. a different relief procedure. So I'm back on the line as far as I want from the penalty area, not a club length. And then I pick my spot, yep. and then I drop my ball on my spot in that one club relief area. Yeah. Yeah. So the relief area is what you're describing as a point on the ground with effectively a relief area that is one has a uh, a circum a a radius of yeah. one club length. If you look at it in the um, if you look at it in the diagrams in the rules of golf, which are really very helpful, it's almost like a circular. Yeah, but that circle would have a one club radius and a two yeah. club diameter. Yes. Yeah. Now I'll get into how you describe circles. Um, so I've dropped it, and then the ball has to stay within that club length. If it goes outside the club length, that's not a correct drop, is it? So, yeah, I'm just going to repeat this. Um, the player has to drop the ball on the line. Yeah. The spot on the line where the, where the ball first touches the ground creates a relief area that is one club length in any direction from that spot. Yeah. Uh, That's so it. If, so if it goes out of that club It goes length, out of the club length, redrop. Yeah. But if the ball goes forward of that club length, and stays, of that spot, and it and stays within a club length, I just proceed. Got it. Uh, yeah, again, I think that will take a long time. I think I can, you can imagine the arguments about that now, where people incorrectly say you've got to redrop that and you haven't. Yeah, it'll take some bedding in, I think. But um, and the and the RNA didn't do it lightly. I mean, like Grant, in, Grant, when I talked to him about it, said used the term we agonised over the back on the line rule in the lead up to 2019. So they've taken a long time to get to here because they wanted the relief procedures all to be uniform. But what they've come to, they've come to the conclusion that back on the line relief is a unique relief procedure. Right. I think that's, yeah, I mean, the, the logic's really good, isn't it? As in, 
you're back of where your ball finished, so it hasn't gone forwards. There, there are people who've asked me already the questions that you've asked me, and that's essentially what I say to them. Like, what does it matter if the ball goes fractionally forward out of the relief area, as long as it's in, you know, you're going back on the line, not right. gaining a specific advantage, are you? It's yeah. not like you've taken lateral relief, as you referred to, and the ball goes closer to the hole, completely different kettle of fish. Yeah. Here, you're actually moving away from where your ball was in the penalty area, yeah. or where it was in an unplayable ball situation. So that is logical, but hey, I can hear the arguments raging. Um, I think um, one that you might have to just begin at the beginning with is this ball moved by natural forces. Um, so just talk me through that then. So the easiest way to explain this is to take you back to a situation at the, I'm not going to call it by its official title, the Old Phoenix Open um, in no. 2019. Why are you refusing to say waste management? I'm not giving them a free plug. But you just have. These people are modernising golf, Steve. Other management solutions are available. <laughs> uh, so I want to take you back to that. Um, and a very unusual uh, incident with Ricky Fowler, who was like leading by a ton in the final round, did a chip that ran through a green and it went into the water. He took penalty area relief and he dropped it on a bank. Uh, two, in fact, his first two drops actually went into the water and then he placed it on the bank. Um, so he walked up to the green to look for his next shot and as he was doing that his ball crept off the bank and into the water. So it's just re-drop? No, well he had no because he had to take penalty area relief again so he basically had another penalty area because the ball was at rest and then rolled back in. Right. Um, so he then yeah so he took penalty relief again and he, he recorded a triple bogey and I think like at that moment um, it caused a, it caused a hell of a stink on social media, as you might imagine. But at that moment, I think the RNA and the USGA looked at it and said, "Is that necessarily fair? You know, he's taken a relief procedure. He has dropped the ball or placed the ball. Ball is back in play, and then it's been moved by something that is not of his making. So the problem was that the old rule." said that if natural forces caused your ball at rest to move, there was no penalty, but the ball had to be replaced from, had to be played from its new spot. Well, Fowler couldn't yeah, yeah. deem that he couldn't play the ball from its new spot because it was in the water. So his only recourse was to take penalty area relief again. And people thought that this was a bit unfair. So they've now changed the rule as an exception to ball moved by natural forces, which says if a ball at rest is moved by natural forces after it's been dropped, replaced or replaced and it comes to rest in a different area of the course or out of bounds ball must be replaced and played from its original spot so let's let's get this clear the ball has to come to rest in a different area of the course or out of bounds for this to apply right so okay so practical let's just work through a couple of scenarios yeah. so if I'm playing on like a fast running Heathland which has got lollopy fairways and I'll by lollopy, I'm also making a hand action, which is not really helping, is it? Uh, undulating fairway, shall we say? And the ball stops. The ball stops on top of an undulation. I put my bag down, zap the flag, and whilst I'm doing that, the ball rolls down to the bottom of that undulation. Mm. I play it from its new spot. Yeah, because I haven't addressed it or whatever else. Well, because it hasn't. In, in terms of this new rule and the exception that we're talking about. It hasn't been placed, replaced, or dropped because it's still and it's still on the fairway. Yeah. So where this is where this is really going to help is 
say for example, uh, the Ricky Fowler instance is a really good one of the penalty area, but say for example, um, you drop a ball, uh, it comes to rest for whatever reason, and then it rolls into a bunker, right? You'll now replace it because it's rolled into a different area of the course after being dropped. So I think what is interesting about that rule is that I would definitely um, have got it wrong previously. So I think if I had been in the Ricky Fowler scenario, I would 100% have said, well, I'll get to drop that again, obviously. And, and this is the point, yeah. because this is the point, because that's what you would naturally do. Yeah. Um, you know, you would, you would never in a club golf competition, and they didn't on tour, you know, I'm sure they didn't on tour. The players, players would have called the referee over and just basically said, right, I'm just redrop this, right? And absolutely in your club competitions, like why would you think that, you would have a penalty there, yeah. But but you did, um, and and it, it was a real nightmare for Ricky Fowler. He won in the end, so it was all right. But it made it a bit tighter. But what that incident did was sort of ping a light bulb on in RNA and USGA headquarters, and they've moved to address it. And I do think I do think it's just common sense now. Yeah, but it's, it's a good. I mean, it's a good clarification because like, there are a lot of different scenarios, aren't there, when you're playing golf? Yeah. So it, it have, does have to, to an extent, be a moving fees, doesn't it? You know, if you've taken penalty area relief, for example, and it was clearly an anomaly to then be punished for an outcome that had nothing to do with anything you'd done. Mm. It's just, I mean, it's just like it's just unfair. No one thought the Ricky Fowler thing was fair at the time, did they? No. I don't think. And now they've acted on it, and it's just much more in the. Yeah, this is the common sense approach. So, okay, well, I think that's pretty good. The, you like a damaged club rule, and we can now you can now replace clubs that are damaged, but not if you've snapped it over your knee. Yeah, this is one for tour. I mean, this never comes up at club golf because you've never got a spare club to hand. You're not going to be able to pop back and get one. Well, you can't because you you then get done for unreasonable delay of play. <laughs> what you'd end up having to do is you'd have to hope your course was on two nines, for example, and you could just run into the locker room and pick one up and then put one in. Yeah. That's, that's the only way I could practically see it happening. But on tour, clubs get broken a fair bit um, for a variety of reasons, some of which are because of anger. Um, so the old rule said that the only, you couldn't normally replace a damaged club with another club. There was a limited exception to that where, for example, if you laid your driver on the ground and someone had driven their, tr they'd driven their sort of golf buggy over it, you hadn't caused the damage yourself, you could actually replace a club, that limited exception. Um, the club was conforming for the rest of the round, so you could still make strokes with it, or you could try and repair it as much as possible to its original condition. Yeah. But now they've just made it really simple. They've basically said, um, you can use, repair or replace any club damaged during a round with another club as long as it isn't in a case of abuse. Interesting you talk about local rules because there is another model local rule that essentially limits that. But I can see this, um, this being used in reality, like quite a lot of golf courses are two loops of nine. Um, and if, you're, if the head falls off your putter and you've got a good score going and you pop in and get another putter from the pro shop, I can sort of see that happening. I sort of look at like what are, you were talking about page views earlier on. What are all the pieces that people have been looking at over the over the course of the last two days? And this one is right at the bottom. Well, we need to SEO it better. 
<laughs> so there's obviously like maybe we need to educate club golfers because the, I suppose there is that example but most of the time if you snap a golf club out on the course you, you just don't have the ability to go and replace it A because you're too far away or B because you just haven't brought a spare seven iron with you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I still think it might get used though I can sort of hear tales of um, people saying I was putting terribly then the head fell off and I went and got a new one and then I had 23 points on the back nine yeah I mean you'll absolutely see it at tour level as well yeah um, and then there's this thing about insects which is just peculiar beyond belief yeah the Paul Casey rule why is it the Paul Casey rule because he almost got done um, in the Porsche European Open when uh, his ball hang on a minute why over an insect. Your, your sponsor policy is not very consistent yeah sorry in the European Open. In the European Open. Um, his putt rolled over a moving insect in its path and dropped into the hole. And um, he hadn't seen it happen, which is actually what helped him. Um, but there was, it, 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 had a, a, it revealed an exception to a, something in Rule 11, which is when a ball in motion accidentally hits a person or outside influence. And that, there's an exception to that rule that says if you're playing a ball from the putting green and it accidentally hits any person, an animal, or a movable obstruction, the stroke doesn't count. Ball has to be replaced on its original spot. So if you take that to its logical conclusion, if your ball hits an insect on its way into the hole, it's null and void. You have to replay the shot. Right. Well, I mean, is you know, is like the prevention better than the cure? Do you, do you know what I mean? Is that a bit too much? Um, so they, again, the RNA kind of. And the USGA kind of came to terms with this pretty early on and they put a model local rule in um, which limited some of the instances where this could occur and it basically said um, if it hit the player, the club used by the player to make a stroke or an animal defined as a loose impediment, so we're talking about worms, insects, spiders, that kind yeah. of thing, the stroke counted and the ball was played, it played it lies. So again, this was a local rule that was employed on tour but you know, if you're not like keeping up to date with the clarifications with the, that the RNA new SGA put out, you probably wouldn't know this was there. Or if you just looked at your rule book in the club, you'd go, "Well, that's what this rule says." So that's the, this is the conclusion. So they've basically put the important elements of the model local rule now into Rule Eleven. So it's quite a nuanced thing, isn't it? So if I miss a putt and I say, "Oh, that's because it hit that little fly," what are you going to say? Exactly. Exactly, yeah, and that was, I, did anyone ever do that? I mean, I don't know, but someone will have tried it somewhere, wouldn't it? My ball, I, I hit a poor putt, I basically just say, hang on, my ball hit an insect there. Right, are you going to be the one to say, well, that didn't happen? Yeah, so now you just play as it lies if it an insect. Yeah. Um, what happens if, if I hit your ball marker? Uh, it's fine. Just carry on? Yeah, carry on, keep calm and carry on. So that means... I really, those blooming poker chip ball markers really annoy me. Like movable obstruction could be something like uh, water bottle on the green um, uh, nearest the pin marker. Broken shoelace. I mean, so it's but the key is accidentally hit, right? So if you like, if you're using the nearest the pin marker to line you up, and you're hoping that it like. You'll, you mean not accidentally hitting it then are you you're like looking at it and you're using it for alignment so the key is accidentally right or if you've sort of left it because it's just outside your line and you're kind of hoping for an in off yeah yeah 
So there are certain things where if it hits it, you just carry on, but there are certain things where if it hits it, you can replay it still. Yeah, so if it hits any other person, hits a movable obstruction that isn't a ball marker, so they are a ball at rest, a flag stick, or the club used to make the stroke, or an animal that isn't defined as a loose impediment, then you'd have to still take it again. What do you think about that ball marker one? Because would have an easier distinction not just to be something that's like there naturally and things that are not there naturally? Yeah, but there's a relief procedure as well, remember. For, there's a procedure for moving a ball marker that's interfering with play. It. Well, I mean, but like, you'd be replaying shots all the time. Well, you would, yeah. So I think or you'd it's, move your ball marker better. Oh, yeah. Or you I mean, might have a stupid poker chip one. Guilty as charged. Right, I've, I've just got to make sure I don't use poker chip markers when I'm playing with you. Have you really got a poker chip marker? Loads of them. Because I lose me. small ball markers, Tom. I'm like notorious for like buying a new ball marker and then like it doesn't even get past three or four holes because it's small and it's fell out of my pocket. Right. Don't lose a poker chip one. And then the last one is there's a new one. The new rule. Which is incredible. So we've gone to 24 rules, but now we've gone to 25. We've got 25. It's like that sausage thing in Blackadder. So they've, the modifications for players with the modified rules for players with disabilities. Um, wasn't part of the rules of golf themselves. They were there in the official guide. Um, but the, the problem, I'm not saying the problem, it's not a problem. Um, the issue for me was that they, were, they only applied if they were adopted by the committee in charge of a competition. So they didn't automatically apply to every comp and it was up to committees to decide whether to adopt any of these modified rules for their own competitions. So what's happened now is they're just part of the rules of golf and they apply to all competitions and all forms of play. And now it's a player's category of disability and eligibility that determines whether they can use the modified rules in Rule 25 rather than a committee saying, yeah, we'll bring this in or we'll not bring this in. I mean, I'm not suggesting for a second, right, that committees are doing anything wrong here. No, no, but no, 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 no. the committee was the arbiter of the modifications and now... Which is They're just in the rules of golf, and that's much better and much easier. Very, very unfair to sort of delegate responsibility for the um, implementation of a rule to a volunteer. It should just be a rule or not a rule. Yeah, exactly, and, and now it is. Particularly on such a sensitive subject. Um, do these rules allow um, people with disabilities to play in any normal competition? Yeah. Um, which is also absolutely correct, isn't it? Um, yeah, so the modifications do things like... You are banned from um, being lined up. Um, if you are in a category um, which applies, you can be lined up. You know um, there are there are some categories where you can where you can put your club in front of or behind a ball in the bunker and touch sand. You can't do that. Um, you as an able-bodied player, but if your category allows it, then you'd be able to do that, and you would not have penalty. Yeah. So the various things like that, like really sensible stuff. I mean, um, for example, I think um, there are categories where you can have uh, a caddy, and you can have someone who helps you aim as well. So you can have like two people, whereas obviously you can't have two caddies, for example. Got you. Um, so they, they, they're really sensible stuff. They've been they've been in and around the rules for. 
a long, long time now, and it's just sensible. You know, golf's supposed to be for everyone, so yeah, hundred percent. And I think um, the, the the important thing for me is that it's it's an official rule, and it's not something that's open to in, interpretation, yeah. or you you can have a different experience at one place as you would another. We we had a. Uh, a thing at Art, we do have a thing at Old Woodley where you can't play in a competition in a buggy without a doctor's note, yeah. right? Which is sort of similar, isn't it? Yeah. Apart from it was abused by Pat Geraghty, you know who you are, who produced a doctor's note so he could play in a buggy the whole time. Uh, and there was a lot of uh, Mickey taking about his disability just being the size of his girth, basically. Yeah. Uh, you're trying to tell me I've missed one. Well, there is so much real stuff on our website and continues to be applied that I'm writing them as I get them um, and as I work them out. And um, this story is on our website. Um, it's not in your summary. But it's not in my summary. It's not in my summary. What is it? It is a new local rule um, that committees can employ from January that can enforce the compulsory use of fairway mats. Oh right, okay. So these are those annoying things you have to carry around when the course is being protected. Yes, the, the, I had a love-in to them in yeah, our winter golf podcast. You seem to think they make you play better. They do, I shot 38 points on Saturday. Oh, right. <laughs> they, they absolutely make me play better. Um, so uh, there are a lot of clubs that do this. My own club do this, you know, we've got Heathland Turf, it's lovely, we want to keep it fit for the start of the new season, so we employ comp- uh, mats on the fairway. You will, uh, I'm not saying we have at our club, I don't know, but I'm sure that you will always have some awkward members who refuse to do it or don't want to do it. Um, and there really wasn't in competitions any way you could address that previously. Um, so now there's a new local rule which basically hands out a sanction for each time. If, the, if you are ordering your players to use fairway mats and they don't use them, there's a penalty. It's two shots or loss of hole in match play. So it's a chunky, it's a chunky penalty. Um, the other good thing about this local rule is no one ever seems to know when they're doing fairway mats how to, how to basically take relief in the proper way and this local rule outlines actually how you do it so it says things like the mat must be placed on top of the spot where the ball came to rest and it tells you what to do if the ball rolls off the mat how you try and place it what you then do if it won't stay on the mat what happens if the ball is moved accidentally before a shot's made so actually it's like really good stuff because for a lot of clubs that that have fairway mats it's not just the fact that they have them and people won't use them is the problem it's like well how do we take relief and people do it in all sorts of weird and wonderful ways don't they here's a uniform procedure a club can basically print out and give to their golfers and say, this is how we want you to take relief under this rule. Yeah, and I think um, it is, we've asked you to do this and now we're gonna sort of give you a penalty. If you yeah, play. it's carrot and stick, definitely. Yeah, um, and do we think, I mean, this is a move presumably to help green keepers a little bit, right? Well, I think it's, it's this, I think this model local rule was available on request. So I think if clubs asked for it, they could get it. And now it's been made available to all. But you know, like, what is the purpose of winter mats? purpose of it is that it's cold it's wet we don't want to damage the turf we want to keep it in pristine condition now we've got another vehicle that we can wheel out to help us do that amazing um i think i mean you've done an absolutely phenomenal job covering this haven't started yet loads more to do some really really fun ones coming i don't want to reveal them all so there's going to be more you're going to um 
dig deeper into the uh, the rules revisions and publish some more stuff yeah. for us to get our teeth into. Yeah, from now until Christmas, hopefully. It's, I mean, it's a phenomenal thing to have someone as um, expert and qualified in this topic as you are. Um, from my point of view, who is neither expert nor qualified, the rules of golf are one of these things where people get an idea in their head that they understand a rule. The club rules. Yeah, and golfers seem to be the sort of people who are very confident in their own opinion and they will be they will say in very compelling fashion well this is the way of proceeding here and often they'll be wrong um, so it kind of is worth I think trying to um, take something like a, a rules update to try and refresh your knowledge um, there, there are half a dozen things I think in the stuff we've discussed today where I would have just definitely got it wrong and been very confident that I was right so I have um, I have a kind of a, a strong opinion on this and, and I think you should take a rules exam before you're allowed to play in competitions you know if you're not if you're not if you're playing social golf whatever do what you want who cares um, you know if you want to take mulligans fine that's up to you as long as everyone's happy it's not a competition crack on but where there's where there's pots at stake and money at stake I think people should have a minimum standard of knowledge and that standard is available for free you know the RNA rules Academy is free you can you can do that it'll take you three or four hours you can even sit the level one exam if you want at the end of it for no charge and you can be a level one you can have level one rules knowledge you can actually be on the tree of rules information level one level two level three that I've got yeah and you can do it for nothing it's free I think the way you're positioning it sounds like quite draconian like you've basically got to do a driving test before you can play in a golf competition but it's a little it's a similar to the etiquette conversation yeah. we had the other day isn't it that there the in the olden days there would have been um, committee interviews and kind of crib sheets around this is the way that we proceed here from an etiquette point of view and I, I think I do sort of agree that um, cursory understanding of the rules in a, what is effectively a self-policing game 99.9% .9 of the time yeah. would solve a lot of arguments. And there's, there's nothing tricky on the Rules Academy, right? You're not going to be asked to go into any like deep in clarifications or anything like that. It's just the standard everyday rules that Ooh. everyone gets wrong. And they do. They get them wrong, Tom, all the time. I mean, like, I am routinely like telling players, you can't drop it there. From a penalty area, because as you say, you know, people have just always done it in a certain way, and they have an idea that this is the correct rule. If you tell people that they're doing it wrong, they're horrified yeah. because because they believe like intrinsically that they're following the rules. Oh, hundred percent. But they just don't. But they just have got it mixed up for whatever reason, or they don't quite have the knowledge, or somebody's told them something that from someone they respect, and they think, right, well, that's obviously the way that it goes. Well, there are, yeah. I mean, and the other thing, I guess, is making this stuff widely available in an easily accessible way yeah um, and there's the RNA rules app there is our website yeah um, like there are sort of you can access this information live now um, yeah you, again but in the olden days we were encouraged to carry around a loving book with this yeah. stuff in well, I mean now it's like on your phone and, and I understand yeah, yeah. that some clubs are a bit sniffy about phone use yeah. but the great thing about the phone app is search terms yeah. I mean, you can remember in the old days, you'd like be looking for a rule and you'd be like Ooh, scurrying around in the book to try and find it. Now yeah. you just put the term in, it'll come up. I've thought of another business opportunity for you. Do you remember a thing called AQA in the olden days? 
Any, like any questions answered? Oh yeah. It's like in the sort of early days of the internet where you mm. used to just send it a message and then it would reply. Mm. A friend of mine, Kieran, actually used to work for them when he was backpacking around the world and he used to have his laptop on and he'd just go on and answer people's questions. Said he said it was awful in terms of exposing what people wanted answers to, as you can imagine. <laughs> Basically, like seeing the entire world Google searches. Wow. Why don't you start that for golf rules? You can have like a WhatsApp where you say, like, just WhatsApp me when you're out playing and you're stuck, you don't know how to proceed, just WhatsApp me. Like a proper mobile rules official, you can make a fortune. You, I'd never write another piece for you again, though. I'd be so busy. My email, like, my email is full enough with people's rules inquiries that I've never got time to reply to. What an incredible idea. We could, we could charge the golf club. We could say, look, it's a, a subscription service. It's 50p per member. Uh, and we guarantee that we'll get back to people's rules queries within 90 seconds. There's going to be no delay. We're going to need the team of SLA. Gonna need a team of two hundred to do that. Exactly. Well, there's plenty. We'll just get them here. Yeah. Okay. I'll order a bigger desk. But yeah. So I mean, we've only scratched the surface of this. There's a lot of interesting stuff to come. I mean, some really interesting stuff to come. The rules of golf have changed. And how how do people find out? Like, do is, uh, do clubs organise um, like evenings to present this yeah. stuff? Yeah. I'm going um, to be at some next year. Um, and hopefully I'll do one at my own club. This is, I mean, this is what I would say, you know, like we can take you so far down the line, but you know, most of your clubs will have a rules evening to talk about these, because these are some big changes, particularly back on the line relief's a big one. Um, and you know, you'll, if you get the opportunity to go to some of those rules evenings, do go to them. You know, I, I've done a few of them, I've attended a few of them, and two thirds of the membership don't bother. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got, you've got to, it, it's incredible to me that you would play a game with, you know, pots and money on the line, and then not basically like educate yourself in what it's, those new rules are. It's like people like watching football and like. But it's a it's a real foible of golf, isn't it? Like if you're playing amateur football on a Sunday, you have a ref. Yeah. And we are the ref. The yeah. rules of golf, the rules of football, are widely understood. Yeah. But golf is complicated. The rules change. People don't understand them in the first place, and as you say, you're your own ref. So it's not surprising; it's of such interest to people. And you're doing a service, getting this stuff out there. Yeah, yeah. Right. Go read our website. Subscribe to the podcast. Help us spread the word. Thank you very much. Thanks, Tom. See you next week. Bye.